Well, Pastor Brad last week emphasized in 2 Corinthians the importance of light. And Christ is our light that shone into our darkness. And the Scripture tells us that the world could not comprehend or understand this light. It overwhelms it. His light overwhelms the darkness. Christians, we've had our eyes open. We have seen this light, which is Jesus is the answer to our greatest need, our sin debt need. And that sin debt need, however, is often not perceived as our greatest need. Why is that? Well, because we, because we are facing a variety, variety of daily pressures. Where, like things, your job. Your job may have you feeling today like you are hanging on barely, or you literally feel like you're hanging on. You don't even know what tomorrow brings. You may know a pink slip before Christmas. You understand that pressure. Or marital struggles, which are common, can't get on the same page. You wonder, is our marriage going to survive? Seem like values are shifting within marriages. And you don't know what to do. Parenting crisis, health problems, money problems, and the very real pain of loneliness and rejection that comes in a variety of ways in our life. What does Christmas have to do with any of that? What is it that God would want us to see about this greatest Christmas treasure that actually Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4? So if you have a Bible, I'd like you to open your scripture, uh, your copy of scripture to 2 Corinthians 4. We will pick up in verse 6. And in honor of God and the reading of God's word, I'm going to ask you to stand. Now this morning... I'm going, instead of reading right through the passage, I am, as we're going through it, I'm going to call attention to some things, make commentary, very brief commentary, but this is meant to be that if you write in your Bible, there are some things I want you to highlight or mark, if you will, or mark in your mind, because those are the places that we're going to give especially a, a specific emphasis to today. Verse 6, beginning there. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But, now there's the first word, but. But is, but is inserted to show contrast to what was previously said. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show. Now there's the next thing. To show, but to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that, now this so, first time you see so that in verse 10, is repeated in verse 11. Two times... He says this, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. 
Now, you saw the emphasis, but to show so that, so that. Now, all of us came into this room with some problems. But you probably are not feeling what Paul felt in verse 7 through 11. And his problems, which were causing some confusion in the Corinthian church, could be the same kind of problems that cause confusion in your life. See, between verse 7 and 11, there's some key reminders that everything in the Christian life is not smooth sailing. There are key reminders here of the normal Christian life that none of us actually want, and we spend a lot of energy trying to avoid, whether you're a Christian or not. And believers sometimes falter in their faith because it involves God sending or allowing our comfort zones to be upended to do something in our life that is not accomplished in any other way. Paul wanted the believers at Corinth to see that what was happening to him would be soon happening to them and would produce something far beyond their imagination. And this thing that's produced in us is a treasure of hope. And it's far bigger than any one singular individual that sits in this room. But that itself is a problem for us. Because our individualism is our challenge. Americans especially. We are, we are subject to a lifestyle coach prosperity Christianity proclaimed in books and from pulpits that give great emphasis to what happens to me. What's in it for me? We hear the offer of Jesus to come to Him to relieve us and to do something for us, but it's always about what is it going to really affect in my life right now. Our benefit becomes the end play. And the knowledge of Christ comes to me, and I realize I'm a sinner. I trust Him. I try to follow Him. I try to be a good person. And when I die, I go to heaven. I become singularly the object of his sacrifice. It becomes all about us. And make no mistake, you are truly precious to God. He knows you by name, called you by name, opened your eyes. But when we stick a period at the end of that call and live content in some kind of holy bubble where we're pursuing on a constant fashion a discipline of making our lives easy and efficient as possible, therein lies the challenge. And we often don't even know that that is a problem. And you may be sitting there going, what's the problem with that? Should we not be pursuing some level of ease for ourselves? Well, for some, in some regard, yes, you work hard to do the best that you can. I understand that. But there is a problem. It's the residual problem that kind of flows in our life. We don't know what, we don't don't know the derivatives that flow out of that kind of mindset of making it all about us. For instance, over the weekend, I was reminded of some things that are happening in our culture that as I read it, 
I just felt myself getting keyed up. In fact, I could read those things to you this morning and get it all stirring the pot. I know. About the downfall of our culture, addictive choices people are making, and being repulsed at lifestyle choices that are being made. Yet, in the same moment, I'm not thinking a whole lot about the hungry. I'm not thinking a whole lot about injustice. I'm I'm just not deeply concerned about the poor. Why is that? Because I often make my Christianity about me. And Paul is trying to say to the Corinthian church, to the believers there, this is not all about you. In fact, when I look at my life, sometimes there's little evidence in my life of trying to love people different than me. Do you know why that is? Because I think we lose sight of our own darkness and how light came to us. We think our darkness is just not that dark. We needed just a little bit of light. We came to our senses and we make our salvation Yeah, it's a good work of God, but it's not a miracle. But salvation is a miracle of God's love and His sacrifice, and it's never about me alone. And for those of you who are prone to drift to the idea of it being about you, and you are confused right now about things that are happening in your life, suffering, I've got some good news for you. But it's not necessarily going to sound like the best news until you understand the ongoing implications for you. So how do we begin? How do you begin to understand the treasure of Jesus in you? The implications of that. I believe it's found by keeping some principles in focus at all times. And we're going to talk about those three things this morning. There's other things too, but just these three from this text. Number one, you live as a jar of clay for a reason. Now, if you look at your bulletin, the bulletin says you live as a jar or clay for a reason. Now, that's John Miner's mistake, not Pastor Brian's. So I'm just going to throw him under the bus right now, all right? The guy is an expert editorial dude. He missed that. He actually reads aloud while he's typing, and he just missed it. So, love John. Grateful he's just, he's more like me. He makes big mistakes, all right? You are a jar of clay for a reason. Paul describes you this way because God intends you to live in such a way where you're constantly aware of how fragile you actually are. You ever wonder why, when you trusted Christ, why did not God just take you to heaven immediately? After all, after all, you could have saved yourself a whole lot of sinning and a whole lot of hurt toward other people. Why did God not do that? It's because here God intends that you as a follower of Jesus must learn that the power to live contented and the power to work through problems is not just you. It's not all on you. Even in suffering, the power and the word that Paul used is the same word 
power that we get the word dynamite. Little package, big boom. All right? Big boom is the power of Jesus in you. A jar of clay understands you're fragile. And by facing being fragile and facing suffering, you can learn to live dependently as a testimony of God's sustaining grace, just like the Apostle Paul. Do you remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, just several chapters in front of, uh, behind this, Paul is asking the Father to remove a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what the thorn is, all kinds of speculation about the thorn. I'm grateful that I don't know. One of the reasons why I'm grateful the Holy Spirit did not tell him to tell us is because all of us have thorns. All of us have buffeting things in our lives, suffering things, where we go to God and say, Oh God, please, please free me from this. And like Paul, we hear the Father say, No. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in what? Weakness. You don't want to be weak. Americans don't applaud weakness. But the applause of heaven is you fragile, God's power in you. There's grace for weakness. Now, here's the reality. Some in this room today, you've trusted Christ. You know him well on paper. In fact, you are sincere. You read read your Bible. You come to church. You give. But frankly, most of your life is lived where you are the master of your life. You see that the big issue has been addressed, your eternity. Death is about later because there's a whole lot of living that you want to do right now. And there's a lot of living that I want to do. I understand this. There's things we'd like to see, things you want to see, things you want to experience, things you want to enjoy. Life becomes all about what's happening right now to me. Saved? Yes, probably. But life becomes like that, a mile wide and an inch deep. Suffering is something that you see as to be avoided and can be avoided with enough effort. And dying, that's for later. Others today, you think more about death than you did a year ago. You've started thinking about it in clear terms, like, if, like your heart. Your heart is not an electric clock plugged in the wall endlessly. Your heart is actually manual, wind-up variety. Remember those? Tick-tock, tick-tock, no? Wind-up, only so many ticks. God knows how many ticks you don't. You have a limit, whether you think about it or not. It is simply the fact. Muscle in your heart has only so many beats, and you have less than you did at the time that I started this sentence. And for those of you thinking, oh my, thank you for that wonderful life-giving illustration, Pastor Brian. Criminy, what? In fact, you might be here today 
And you hear that, we talk about that, and you don't want to be thinking about that. It actually kind of makes you angry. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Don't be angry at me. Be angry at sin. Because of sin, we're all locked up with limited breaths and limited heartbeats. The consequence of sin is death. We're all under it. In other words, we're all clay pots. All of us are fragile. All of us are prone to break. And these truths are not meant to be a prison. Actually, they're meant to liberate you, to see that all, for those of you who have trusted Christ, all that happens to you is not all of you, and it does not tell the whole story of your life. And here's how. Here's how we know this. Here's what we know about being a clay pot. A clay pot's useful. In fact, it holds treasure. Living things like plants and the ordinary modern clay pot like plastic tubs hold toys. This time of year, my wife's cookies, all of those things are treasures, things to be enjoyed. We don't look at the pot. We look at what's in the pot. Some of our most valuable things, photos or otherwise, are contained in them. Clay pots were also molds. The original reader, the original hearer of this, knew what he was talking about. Clay pot meant of the earth, literal clay. And they were used as molds. Molds were where you would take precious metal, pour into them, and they would form and harden, and then you would break the pot, and in breaking the pot, the treasure would be revealed. For that to happen today in your clay pot, you need to understand that suffering and brokenness is not only inevitable, suffering and brokenness for the follower of Jesus Christ is normal. It's normal. Second thing we have to keep clearly in focus is that you can face suffering with the knowledge that God limits the extent to which it reaches into your life. Now, down in verse 8 through 10, Paul uses a number of words, a number of, of, of descriptors, if you will, of difficulty. Great difficulty even. Not easy, but it's interesting. He says this, but not this. Notice with me, afflicted in every way, but not crushed. And what does that mean? Afflicted means, the word means in a pinch. Now, not just somebody walking up and pinching you like that. This is like taking you and cramming you in the corner where you can't escape. You feel like you have no escape. You're pinched in. But God's not going to allow it to crush you completely. Perplexed, that word means literally at a loss. I'm at a loss. I don't know what to do next. It reminds me of Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles chapter 20 when the armies 
coming against Israel were larger and bigger and more powerful. And Jehoshaphat said, Lord, we do not know what to do, but we keep our eyes fixed on you. That's what it means. Adelosh, don't know what to do. We keep our eyes fixed. Persecuted. Some of you know what it's like to have people laugh at you. To mock what you believe. To mock what you do. People at work, maybe bosses, who have no time for you and you've been passed over. You feel persecuted, you may very well be. You feel pecked. But you're never alone. Not driven to despair means that uh, or, or uh, not forsaken means that you are persecuted, but like Jesus was forsaken, you're not going to be forsaken. Christ always is with you. And struck down, Paul says, you struck down, which literally we get a, one of the parts of that root is where we get ball. It's like throwing a ball, casting it. It's like somebody picking you up by the nap of the neck and just pitching you like that. Your life's upended, but it's not annihilated. Paul is saying these things happen. How do you find hope in that? How do you find hope if that is the normal Christian life? Well, it's coming to grips with the fact that the normal Christian life is a cycle that's an end, kind of an endless parade of these many deaths, many sufferings, many Yes, and sometimes many. Many sufferings where Christ's death is played out in your life. You die to yourself, but it's for a reason. You die to yourself so that life can come to others. All that Jesus dealt with, you too will to a lesser degree deal with it. And it will literally happen in your body. That's what he's talking about. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. It's going to happen in your clay pot. And you and I can face it just like Jesus did. Jesus faced those things in his body by always knowing who he was. No matter what others said about him, how they, how they persecuted him, how they tried to trick him up. And no matter what other people say about you, you can know that you are his in Christ. Jesus said in John eight forty two, I came from God, I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. He knew exactly why he was there. He knew to whom he belonged. He always knew who he was. He also always trusted the Father. This is, we beautifully see this in Jesus. We see it as he teaches us to pray. He, te- he taught us to pray, Your kingdom come, your rule, your kingdom come, your rule over my life right now. And Jesus talked about worry, which all of us may be prone or tempted to do. And as he did, he said this, today has enough trouble of its own. Your father sees your need. Even in the darkness... 
of his looming death, Jesus prays, yet not my will, but thine be done. And he does this because he utterly trusts the Father with his life. Do you? Do you also do what he did? Do you see beyond that right now? Or have you got so locked into this moment that you cannot see where you're going? What God is doing in your life and how he's using these things in your life. You and I must keep eternity in view. Jesus said that our hearts must not be troubled. John 14, let not your heart be troubled. Why did he say that? He said, we got to tame our heart. That's what it's about. Taming your heart not to be troubled. Because God is preparing a place for you. And he's preparing a place for you. And he is going to come after you with his resurrecting power that's already in you. Jesus always knew he came to die for others' benefit. His death, your resurrection. Your death, the little ones, will involve little resurrections in your life and resurrections in other people's life as you die to yourself and you give yourself away to other people, starting with the people that are closest to you. And that's what Paul is doing. Many deaths in his life so that, so that they could know Jesus. Third thing we got to keep in view is this. The living you must do in the suffering you will face can produce something greater in you and for others beyond your imagination. Now that's a lot. The living you got to do in the suffering that you're going to face, it can produce something greater in you. In you. Yes, your name. But not just you. If you're tempted to think just about you, this is not just about you. It's not just about me. It's about God's work in your life that spills over into other people's life as you give yourself away and as you make sacrifice that cause you to feel like you are dying. Sometimes that shows up in your home. Don't rally for your own rights. Allow yourself to die. For someone else's benefit. Paul was being questioned. His authority as an apostle. He's being slandered. People were saying don't listen to him. Look Corinth was a metropolitan city. Lots of culture. There was wealth there. And there's people saying look. Look at that guy. He's been beaten. Whipped. He's, he acts funny. Why would you listen to that guy? Obviously, God's not with him. None of this kind of garbage would happen. None of this kind of suffering would happen if God was with them. And some of you, some of you may think that way. Some of your hardships you think, surely I've done something to cause this. When actually God may... Send these things into your life, this parade of many deaths, to bring new life to you and new life to others. But none of us really want that. 
it, it's a situation where it exposes to obscurity. We're not interested in obscurity. We're interested in treasure. We, we like to experience the resurrection, but just let's, Lord, make this easy. All right? Let's make it a little easier. I think about those who give themselves over to death in ways that maybe some of us can never imagine doing. Think about missionary doctors. Four years of college, at least four years of medical school, and then residency. And after that, doctors typically, believe it or not, don't get in it for money. But the money starts rolling in then. And with the money, and with the graduation, and with the residencies comes a title, comes often respect. And for those that publish and do research, fame. Nobel Prizes for a few. But not for the missionary doctor that says... I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to go and serve a people who do not have first world medical care. I'm going to go and carry with me the message of Jesus Christ and use medicine as an avenue to share the gospel. And make no mistake about it. Do not sit there and think that that missionary doctor does not lie in their bed at night, sometimes wondering, oh my, what have I done? I'll never be published. I'll never be wealthy. This is not just about missionary doctors. This is about you. This is about you and I walking up and understanding that even though this makes no sense to us, and obscurity is not something that we're after. Suffering is normal. But we don't always think that. We don't think that way. Americans especially. And this is maybe the first generation that has thought about this in pure terms. We don't think we should suffer. And I'm convinced, and this is from the book of Brian, there's two things that's happened in the last hundred years that has been catalyst for our thinking like this. Number one is the Great Depression. The Great Depression produced a want in our nation like we've not seen. And those that lived through it knew want. They understood it. My wife took me to her grandmother's many years ago before we were husband and wife. And her grandmother, who lived through the Great Depression, gave me a gift. I opened that gift, and in that gift was a pair of socks and a tube of toothpaste. And my wife leaned over and said, you're in. Uh, What does that mean? Because she had lived through where toothpaste and socks were a luxury. A luxury. And after World War II, the greatest generation in America came home after defending freedom against an infidel bent on ethnic cleansing and world domination. And that generation came home 
and basically said this, not our children. Whatever we have to do, whatever energy we have to give, we are going to mitigate suffering and eliminate it as much as possible. And American ingenuity and the common grace of God on our lives has done much of that. The problem is, is we're none the wiser for it. Creation groans. That's why we suffer. Sin has invaded every corner of our life. And we may live free, but we never realize that freedom without Christ leads us to bondage. And while trying to find ourselves... We freely hurt ourselves while endlessly seeking to avoid suffering. I want to show you something. How suffering plays out, how death plays out in the smallest things. In my back pocket, this is an acorn. I told the other services in eastern Kentucky, we call these acorns. It's an acorn, all right? I know that. Oak trees. And this time of year, pin oaks still have their leaves. So you can see them. They have white bark. Pin oaks still have their leaves on it. Go look under the tree. You'll probably find some acorns. Packed in this little acorn is life. A lot of life. In fact, so much life that this room... The furniture in this room, the doors in this room, the trim that you see in this room and all throughout this building and a thousand buildings like it are housed inside this little nut. It just needs some time. And it must fall to the earth and die to produce all its potential. Packed in you is untold potential. Untold potential, not because of you, because you are a clay pot, but Christ in you is the power of the resurrection. You and I, when death is at work in us, life is in work in others. As you die to yourself, as you give yourself away, as you face suffering, trusting and declaring that God is faithful and he's good and his Savior is sufficient for you, joy can flow out of your life and the world watching you is starved for that kind of hope. But it doesn't come from us acting like everybody else. It comes from the knowledge that you are weak and you need You need resurrection power in you. And you may think, well, Brian, I feel so vulnerable. I'm in a situation. I'm not sure sure of how security works in the midst of all this. And you do feel really fragile. God knows where you are. He sees you. And I want you to see your life the way you actually are. So I saw David Platt do this some time ago, and I'm going to show you the same illustration. This 
plastic modern-day clay pot. See that? All right. Can you see that? You know who that is? It's you. That's you. I'm not a great artist, but that is you. All right. Now, what does Scripture tell tell us about this? It says, Christ, and this is Christ, please pray for me. This is my wife's box that a friend sent to her from Israel, and it's like a little treasure box. And I have put stickers on the side of it, and I'm praying that these stickers come off, all right? (laughs) This is Christ. Scripture tells us, in Colossians 1, 27 and 28, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ in you. And right now, if, you've, if you know Jesus as your Savior, Jesus literally abides in your body. He is inside you. But that's not all. Paul's cornerstone theological treatise is two little words. If any man is in Come on, you can do better than that. Any man be in? He is a what? New creation. All right? So you, Christ is in you, you are in Christ. Now this this is a mystery. I understand it. It's a mystery. But this is the nature of God's work in your life. You, by identity, are in Christ, and Christ is in you. But that's not all of it. That's not all of it. In fact, in the book of Colossians chapter 3, says this, You have died, you have died, and your life is hidden in Christ in what? All right, good, you don't know this. I want to teach you this. You have died, your life is hidden in Christ in God. You are sealed up in God. In Christ, Christ is in you. You may feel fragile, you may feel forgotten, you may feel alone, but you can know this, nothing, nothing, nothing is going to get to you without passing through God. It's not going to get to you without passing through Christ. And nothing is going to get to you without the abiding, resurrecting power of Jesus Christ in you. That's who you are, and you can suffer and face it knowing that his faithfulness is in you. And he is going to use those sufferings to be a blessing and opportunity for others to see. Paul could not have imagined what God was going to do with this little letter to the Corinthian church that's going to be read in 2019 at Grace Fellowship on a hill in Florence. That work in them produced oaks of righteousness through the generations and you, and you. Nothing's going to happen to you apart from God's loving hand allowing it and His resurrecting power in your life. This is a treasure of hope. This morning, you might be here today, and you you don't know this hope yet. You've not 
you've heard it, you're, you're suffering right now. And maybe for the first time it's clear to you, God has sent suffering into my life to get my attention. And He's calling you to do something about the very thing you can do nothing about. You know what you can do nothing about? You can't do anything about your sin except one thing, bring it to Jesus. That's all that we can do. The good thing about that is he's ready. He's ready and able to take your sin. Nothing you can do about, but he can. Jesus is ready to give you his righteousness. That's the great exchange, 2 Corinthians 5.21. This very book, God made Jesus sin. He basically made him sin for you so that you could become righteous. Jesus is able and ready to give you his righteousness today. He's ready also to take up residence in your life and give you eternal life. The wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That can be yours today if you've not trusted Christ. And he's able to not only just do that right now, he's able to formulate and make all things work together for good. He's able to take your life and all the many sufferings that you experience and produce life in you, a new resurrected you, and life for others. There's no downside. Except this. You got to move off the throne of your life and yield yourself to the only one worthy to sit on the throne of your life. And that goes for Christians as well. Believers, don't live your life a mile wide and an inch deep. Ask God to begin helping you see that what's at work in your life is to give life to others, that your life is never to be just about you, but you are to live sent you got neighbors around you this week you can go to. They may reject you. They may not answer the door. And I'm not asking you to haul them out in their yard and start telling them that they're going to hell. I'm asking you to invite them to come with you to celebrate the birth of a Savior. These are things that we can do, which he did ultimately. He was willing to be crushed ultimately, to bear sin fully, and to be rejected so you never have to be again. And it all begins with a simple prayer. That's where it starts. I'm going to ask our serve teams who are going to be serving communion to come now as we pray. And with heads bowed, I will invite you to pray with me if you need to trust Christ. Yes, right where you sit, right where you sit, you can, you can communicate with God and he hears your voice. When you say, Lord, I am a sinner. I can do nothing about my sin. I can't do anything about it, but bring it to you and come clean. I cannot save myself, but I believe you can. I believe you can save me. Please forgive me. Please come into my life. Make me yours. And lead me to live no longer for me, but to live for you.
in all that I do for you. And Father, for Christians today who've been lulled into the idea that life should be much easier, Lord, we know that this is understandable and you give many good things and you do make things easy in many ways. Thank you. But for those of us who began to think it always should be easy and we should not suffer, we come to you. We ask that you give us resurrection focus, that you abide in us, you make us alive, you'll lead us through many resurrections and the ultimate resurrection that you bought for us. Please forgive us for our unbelief. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.